Welcome to another episode of the TCT Podcast. This is Aaron. This is Sony. We have another good episode for you. We have a special guest, Jay Johnson, Sports Grind Don underscore Don on Twitter. He writes for uh, Jaguars USA Today page. How are you doing, Jay? I'm good, fellas. How y'all doing, man? Thanks for having me on again. No problem, man. Uh, it's always good to get you on. I mean, you're like like we were just talking about off air. You're our, for one of our first guests on this podcast. So, I mean, it's always a good time to get you on. Yeah, yeah. I remember when we first had that uh, first episode and uh, it, it was pretty fun, man. We got into some in-depth stuff, man. And uh, I mean, like y'all y'all uh, really know y'all stuff over there, man. Shout outs to Darren as well. He knows his stuff as well. Y'all all brought something to the table, man, that um, I, I enjoyed the whole conversation. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. It was like uh, two years ago to the date because I believe we were covering like the Senior Bowl and stuff around that time. Yeah, we're about to hire the flipper because that's who Jay wanted. Uh, yeah, like <laughs> what a mistake later. that one was, right? <laughs> uh, for the first part, I was so high on that, man. <laughs> oh man, yeah, we we all have bad takes, man. We all do. That was a that was a bad one for me. <laughs> With plenty more to come, probably. No, like actually, for the first part of the season, I was like, man, we hit a home run with uh, this one. But then I don't know, it's probably a mixture of a lot of things like Gardner, and then he had a bad luck with Foles and stuff. So who knows? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like when you, when the organization is ran like the Jaguars, it's not just one thing, you know? So it, like you said, it, it wasn't necessarily all on the flip. Oh, it was other moving pieces around him and when I say moving I mean moving in a negative way uh, that didn't actually help him either I mean you could say that for a lot of coaches that's been through there man like they didn't exactly get the best situations to uh to to basically do their jobs at but hey you know um we'll see what his new regime goes man a lot of new faces and a lot of people that are interesting names and a lot of people with uh that have a higher of degree of, de- of respect going towards them um, from the football community. Yeah, exactly. Like, since these two years, man, it's been like, since we last talked, it's been all kinds of different emotions for the Jaguars fans from disappointment to sadness to excitement now, even after a 1-15 season. So, I mean, what are your thoughts like, throughout all this time, like, from where we were to where we're headed, basically, or to where the Jags are headed? Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence possible. Yeah, I mean, the I'll say this to become one in fifteen, the Jaguars. I said this on my podcast on the last episode. I think the Jaguars and fans um, are very fortunate that the Jaguars ended up one in fifteen because I mean, what better year to do it than the year you could get Trevor Lawrence? But I say that in the sense that I don't think. I don't know. Maybe y'all can agree with me on this or not. But if you look at it and you get to the meat and potatoes of it, we knew the Jaguars were bad, but I don't think the Jaguars were one in 15 bad. They just had a lot of bad things not go their way, which we just kind of talked about. Um, You know, Rodney Gunter uh, develops a heart condition. He can't play. Al Woods opts out. You know, coronavirus doesn't help any team for that matter. Uh, so, you know, they're behind the curve there with guys they signed in free agency. They had some key injuries down the road. Josh Allen, uh, Henderson, uh, DJ Hayden, who was playing at the time, you know, like a top, you know, before, well, at least in uh, 20, what was it, 2019, he was playing like one of the best nickel corners in the league. So they lost him. 
uh, for a significant amount of times. Just a lot of injuries just hit them. And, you know, that's that's typically what will that's the recipe that will get you to one in 15. And, uh, you know, like you don't never want anybody getting hurt or whatever the case may be. But if it was ever a time to get hit with just unfortunate uh, situations that would make you have such a record, it was then because, again, like they're heading towards Trevor Lawrence and so on and so forth. So I'm excited about the um, the situation they're heading towards. I mean, like we've all talked about Trevor Lawrence as, as much as you can talk about Trevor Lawrence as Jaguar fans. I mean, he's a, he's an excellent quarterback. It feels like, you know, he's going to translate at least from what we've seen. Uh, you know, he's been compared to the likes of Andrew Luck and, you know, all of these guys, Peyton Manning, uh, John Elway, so on and so forth in terms of just what kind of a prospect he is. Uh, so that that's very fortunate news for the Jays as well. And, and while I wasn't the biggest Urban Meyer guy, I mean, there are examples in recent history that show that Jags fans should be optimistic about that too because, you know, we've seen it with, uh, with Coach Harbaugh with the San Francisco 49ers. While it didn't last when he was there, you know, and Trent Baalke would know, uh, it, it, they were successful, went to, what, three straight NFC championships. We've seen Pete Carroll do it recently, too, uh, when he came from USC. And, you know, while it, you know he didn't have – I think they didn't go to the playoffs immediately, but, you know, it didn't take long for them to start having success over there with the Seattle Seahawks. And, you know, I could see Urban Meyer having a, a similar path, but, you know, of course – some things have to go his way and so on. Yeah, I definitely agree, especially uh, like you touched up on Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence on his camp definitely doesn't hurt his chances of being successful in the NFL. Uh, so last week, uh, me and Tony kind of graded free agency. Uh, we didn't get a – obviously, we didn't get to talk to you about it. So what are your thoughts uh, about the free agency and what the Jag- the moves the Jags make? Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, you know, in my mind, I had them graded at about a B. But now, you know, with what we talked about beforehand uh, with Tyson opting out, it feels more like a C now, you know, like that did hurt him. You know, regardless of how people see it and like Tyson was 32 and yada, yada, this and yada, yada, that. That was a great addition in uh, free agency form and one of their better additions. Uh, But I mean, like even even with him, you know, deciding to go to the Pittsburgh Steelers, the good thing is it happened early. Uh, The Jaguars still have the draft where they can, you know, make up for it or, or whatever the case may be, find a replacement, whatever the case may be. But I did think Tyson Alu-Alu was going to be a significant piece uh, for the Jacksonville Jaguars, just for the fact, like, he just had really good PFF grades. He was exceptional against the run where they really struggled. He also would have provided them with a a veteran presence in terms of getting their young guys where they need to be, uh, Devon Hamilton and Doug Costin, who flashed last year and who, you know, I, I like the film that I saw on them. So in terms of just the overall class, I would definitely say it's along the lines of a C, C minus somewhere in there um, right now because of the Tyson Alualu situation. But I mean, look, they could still, you know, they could still upgrade that grade. You know, they can go out there and, and not saying these are two of the same players, but, uh, you know, maybe they can go out and get a Jaron Reed, you know, and, you know, maybe get back into that B tier or whatever the case may be. But I think the biggest part of free agency that made it to the point where they can't get an A and that worries everybody is just the fact that they couldn't get a um a tight end. And, you know, you just couldn't come away from this free agency class without John Smith for Hunter Henry in my book. With the money they had, I mean, like, when you leave the league in cap space, you can't get out for one of those guys, especially when you have uh, struggled to get a tight end 
to the degree that they have historically with this team. And, you know, like now you got to rely on a rookie tight end, which, you know, I'm fine with and all of that. But at the end of the day, like rookie tight ends, we all know aren't that productive in their first year. So you're going to have to rely on a kid that probably is going to give you at what best at like 300 yards, something like that at best, you know, even, even, you know, with the Kyle Pitt situation, you got to trade a haul to come up and get him if you want to get him. So they put themselves in a predicament there. And, you know, that's the reason I really can't give it a A in terms of uh, even when they had Tyson It's just that miss on me, that miss for me uh, just didn't sit well with me and a lot of fans for that matter. Yeah, I agree with that because I mean, you're going, he said, we, Struggled to have, find a good tight end since Mercedes left. I mean, even then, he was kind of not known as a receiving threat. So we really – or the Jaguars never really had that tight end that was like a threat through the passing game that defenses had to focus in on every week. So, like, to not upgrade that position it was kind of disappointing. So I agree with you in that. Like, But going back to the Tyson, Aluwalu uh, thing or situation, would you, like, prefer them to go after Jaron Reed or would you – like kind of prefer them to wait for the draft at the 25th pick and try to get a Christian Barrymore or someone like that. Yeah. I mean, I like Barmore better and that's because it's just, I'm more familiar with Barmore than um, Reed. I mean, but really, I mean, are they in a situation where they can't get both? I mean, this team was like, almost dead last against the run. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, when you look at how the Baltimore Ravens, uh, ran their rotation right where Joe Cullen is coming from you know that there is space on this team where you probably could get both and you know just have a heavy rotation going there uh, which you know that's what they were going to do with Tyson or even without him uh, but you know I, I think you know why not try and get both but I mean I, you would have to think though in their mind if they get Jaron Reed then you know they probably can put off getting the interior defensive lineman uh, to later in the draft you know, so I'm, that's not what I'm saying, but I mean, I'm just saying from my standpoint, if it was me calling the shots, I wouldn't rule off, you know, getting Jaron Reed and Barmore. But, you know, we'll see what they do and what direction they go in. Um, I really haven't heard a, a lot on um, Jaron Reed's situation in terms of like teams reaching out to him. Uh, he's kind of been quiet there. Maybe, you know, like he's just taking his time to like just kind of, you know, unwind and just enjoy free agency for what it is and just enjoy being away from football and just working out from home, you know, which, you know, players need that from time to time. But um, I guess time will tell, you know, if they show interest in him. Uh, but I certainly wouldn't mind if you made me prioritize one over the two. I wouldn't mind getting Christian Barmore um, because, you know, I, he's a guy that I, I really came away impressed with when you look at his tape. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't mind the, uh, like, if we did pick Barmore at 25, there's a lot of, like, uh, I don't really believe that there's any elite interior defense lineman in the draft. Pretty much a bunch of solid guys from Barrymore probably has the most potential to be elite. And then uh, Basham. Carlos Basham and uh, Davian Nixon from uh, Iowa. He's probably the guy I like the most, uh, but maybe not at the 25 spot. Maybe if we could get him at 45, he'd probably be more in his range. Uh, you really can't get a good grade on these uh, interior defense linemen because like uh, just – all these draft pundits out there, uh, like one guy will have uh, David Nixon in the first round, and then another guy will have him in like the third. So it's kind of a tough read of like where these guys are projecting to go. Uh, but uh, touching on the Jaron Reed, 
Yeah, well, real quick, I you know, I wanna um I didn't mean to cut oh, you off, but yeah, you make a good point because um the, the thing about it, me and Phil talked about this on our podcast, is uh that this is a different time in terms of evaluations, in terms of you know, a lot of people that's connected with the internet and do this through the media like me and you all uh, the thing about it is we don't, you know what I'm saying, we're not having those interactions that we normally would with the scouts. You know, you have the senior bowl where you can meet a lot of scouts, which they had senior bowl. You have the combine and you can kind of gauge where these guys are going and you can kind of make better projections and put better projections out there on the web because you have spoken with a scout or executive or a GM from this team or that team, but see the, the coronavirus has limited that. So a lot of these readings are sporadic, you know, like they're all over the place. So like, really, we just have to, the best, I guess the, the unique thing about this year is a lot of what we're doing, if you're doing it like, like again, like me and you guys, is like we're going off of mostly the Internet's projections and our own projections. This is making us better uh, in terms of the scouting process because we don't have the helps, uh, the help from the scouts themselves, the guys that actually work in the NFL. And, um, you know, like I think that's a, a unique part about the situation that we'll look back in history and it, you know, it'll tell us how far our evaluations off as writers and, and and podcasters and whatever the case may be, how far our projections were off from the actual scouts themselves. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think, uh, like uh, like we said, it's just going to be sporadic. I think there's going to be guys that go in the first round that people aren't even on people's boards in the first round. I think, uh, and I think like a lot of it uh, is about like. Uh, no combine in the pro day and man you you're seeing all these numbers that are like crazy like all these guys running four threes like like come on man it's just hard to get a gauge on like some of this stuff you know yeah yeah i agree i agree um but i mean you know that's what we we could have projected this from a mile away that the 40 times on the field would be better than the 40 times at the combine you know because that's typically what happens, but we just we're just used to seeing the pro day or excuse me, the combine first and then the pro day where, you know, the players can, quote unquote, improve their their numbers. Uh, but now we're just seeing it like these ridiculous numbers where, you know, a lot of these guys are running on different types of turf. They're they're running on. Um, oh, cut that off. That was my phone. My bad. Oh, but, um, yeah, you, you see a lot of these different. um these different turfs that people are running on and, and stuff like that, that can increase your speed and people are putting ridiculous 40 times together, which I don't mind because like, it's just kind of fun just to see all of these ungodly like numbers and just kind of have to make it this like a evaluation for yourself, like how accurate those are. But uh, yeah, man, I, again, man, this is just the most interesting and last year as well, like the most interesting off season I've seen in, ter- in terms of, all of the combine stuff and the numbers and just trying to figure out the draft process in general. Definitely, man. Uh, speaking like while we're on the draft subject uh, and the 25th pick, like what direction do you think we'll head in? Uh, with the 25th pick. Yeah. Right? Not obviously not the first pick. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course not. Right. <laughs> oh man. They run urban Meyer out of, uh, out of the city of Jacksonville if they did wrong with that pick. But, um, yeah, the 25th pick, like for me, just based off of, you know, the draft and well now, you know, you could kind of 
penciling Barmore there as an option too now with the Tyson Alualu situation. But yeah, you could pretty much it's easy to gauge what they could probably do there is like I said, you know, Christian Barmore, as y'all have said as well. Uh I like Trayvon Merrick there. Like that's really, really good value right there for Trayvon Merrick because you know typically at the end of the first round, you know, you're getting guys that may not really be starters. Um, you're hoping to get a starter. You want to get a starter. That's what you're shooting for. Um, but that being said, like Trayvon Merrick's the best uh, safety in this class, according to the mo- you know most pundits. And you know to get the base, the best safety in the class that late in the first round, to me is a big plus. And you know that kind of matches well with uh, you know what Trent Baalke has been talking about, right? Which you know we we can agree with him or not or whatever the case may be, or love him, hate him, whatever the case may be. But one thing he's been high on is value. So to me, like, that's what I try to target in, you know, the last mock draft, for example, that I did was I looked for value at these picks, obviously. I mean, of course, Trevor Lawrence is a, you know, that's an easy one. But, you know, getting the the best safety in the class at pick number 25 when you need a safety. I mean, well, again, going back to what we were saying, the Jets are one at 15, so they need a lot of things. But when you need a safety, that's a plus, Um, you know. And, you know, while he, he does have some holes in his game and this, that, and the other, um, you know, he's been very versatile in coverage, uh, which, you know, that that definitely helps with this Joe Cullen defense. Um, he has that size to me, uh, kind of like uh, Deshaun Elliott, who is, you know, that's one of the safeties they had in Baltimore, too. And I think, like, Joe Cullen is going to try and model this as close to Baltimore as possible. And, you know, adding that size into the secondary would help and add his coverage ability into the um, secondary would definitely help. And that'll allow you to kind of put um, Jenkins, who they got in free agency, uh, closer to the line of scrimmage so i mean just pairing those two together that feels like a good pairing and uh that's the guy that i really focused on at that number 20 uh, 25 overall spot yeah i was listening to your podcast when you were going over your seventh round our seven round mock draft and at the 33 pick it seems like i mean trevor lawrence is like a foregoing foregoing conclusion for the jags at uh, number one and it seemed like another pick that seems kind of likely to happen just based off connections with tyler bowen uh, the tight ends coach for the Jaguars that was a former uh, Penn State tight end is uh, uh, tight ends coach. So, like, it seems like a Pat Fryer move seems like a highly uh, possibility at the 33 pick. Uh, would you take him there or would you try to risk? I mean, it seems like the Jags can't afford to, like, risk him being at 45 after missing on John New Smith and Hunter Henry. So, like, how do you feel about Pat Fryer move at uh, 33? Yeah, I mean, I think that's right about, again, going back to value and Trent Bonga, that's right about where he should go. Though some some people have him, like, going five to six spots later in the second round or whatever the case may be. Um, and then, again, going back to what we were saying, it's been sporadic. Some people have him as a late first rounder. So, like, when the, the readings are sporadic like that, right, what I do is to, for me personally, you know, and the people got different ways of grading these players, what I do is I go in between those readings. Some got him in the late first round. Some got him, you know, around the 45 range or whatever the case may be. I went in between those, basically, which would have been pick number 33. Um, That way you kind of can't go wrong with the reading. But, I mean, yeah, I I agree with y'all. Like, Pat feels like a foregone conclusion that he's going to be a Jag or they're going to do their best to make him a Jag. I mean, you know, things happen, you know, and somebody might trade up and get him and, and stick a fork in your plans or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, it's possible he might not be there at 33, but I think he will. 
And I think like at that point, you just can't further risk not being able to get your guy. Um, so, you know, that being said, you can you can take him there at 33. The other guy is George, uh, Brevin Jordan, who I really love, yeah. too. Um, you can maybe try and get him like around at 45 range to be safe now, uh, you know, or maybe closer towards the middle of the, the second round. Uh, but again, like it, that's a, the thing about their tight end situation is they can't be too safe uh, and not come away, in my opinion, with without one of those two guys. And that's what makes the second round probably one of the riskiest ones we've seen in, in recent history because they missed out on getting a tight end in free agency and they put themselves in this predicament. Um, so that being said, I think like you just can't be overly safe when it comes to the second round. If you want one of those tight ends who they probably have circled on their uh, their list because Urban Meyer tried to recruit or, you know, the Ohio State, should I say, tried to recruit Brevin Jordan. So they're well aware of him. Tosh Lapoy, who is the defensive line coach, once was the best recruiter in Alabama. Uh, he he tried to recruit uh or Alabama then in general tried to recruit Brevin Jordan. So those are the guys that I've circled for those reasons. And uh yeah, I mean like at, at that point at 33, just don't even further risk it and, and risk not getting pat if that's who you want. In my opinion, just take them there. And you you know, you get a good guy that's good after the catch, good in catching in traffic, and uh, you know, a guy that can grow with Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I mean we, we like before the uh Free agency began. We heard uh, Urban Meyer at the press conference and talk about rebuilding the tight end room. And then we go out, or the Jags go out and strike out on the top two tight ends and didn't really end up signing anybody but Chris Mann. Man hurts from uh, Panthers and he's more of a blocking tight end. So, like, due to that, I mean, how would you feel about if the Jags, like, decided to double up on tight end? Like, say, Pat fired me at 33 and then Brevin Jordan falls to that first pick in the third round. Would you? Do you think that would be a good idea for the Jags to do that just based on the tight end situation right now? You know, as a as a as a fan, I, I don't like the Patriots, don't get me wrong, but as a fan of how Bill Belichick has game planned in the past and seeing what he used to do with double tight end sets, I wouldn't even be mad with that. I mean, you you're the first guys to really like put that out there or put that in anybody's head is getting two tight ends that close together and that, you know, that high in the draft. Like I've thought about, don't get me wrong. I thought about like doing like, you know, getting Jordan or getting Pat and then going back again, like a Trey McKitty round the fourth round or something like that. Uh, but, you know, more than likely, if you're going to pair those two young men together, you're probably going to have to do it in the second and third rounds or probably do it in the second round in general, which I mean, again, I wouldn't mind that just, you know, I, we've seen what, you know, two tight end sets and how dangerous those could be. Uh, you know, when when the Patriots had Rob Gronkowski and they also had, um, you know, Aaron Hernandez. So that being said, man, like and, and when you look at it from that standpoint and to think that they can scheme together and the, just the brilliant minds of, of Urban Meyer and the brilliant minds of, um, you know, Daryl Bevel as well, who I think is kind of underrated and a lot of people overlook what he's done in this league. But um. Yeah, between those two minds, they could scheme up some good stuff with a double tight end set with two tight ends of that magnitude and uh, two guys that have the abilities that those young men do have. Yeah, and if you look at their, like, body types and the way they play, they're both kind of similar to Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez, like Pat Fryer. He's more like, I think they used to call him Baby Gronk at Penn State or something like that. And then uh, Brevin, he's kind of really similar to Aaron Hernandez as, like, the like a running back when he gets the ball in his hand. So, I mean – that would make a lot of sense, and I would definitely be okay with that because, I mean, right now we pretty much have the same tight ends. 
except, I mean, as we did last year, besides Oliver, and then you added Chris Manhurst. So, I mean, that's basically rebuilding the tight end room right there. Yeah, that would that would mark drastic change because even if you just draft one of those guys, like the tight end room is not that much more different than what it was last year. So we'll see what they do uh, from that standpoint. But um, again, man, they they really dropped the ball on that part when they didn't, uh, you know, take advantage of the tight end class and free agency. But you know, like it's in the past now. You got to look past it, and you know, uh, you got to see. You know what, what you can do past this point, past free agency, to fix that room. Yeah, for me, like uh, just putting myself into the GM shoes, I would like to take like either one of those guys early, like uh, Firemuth or Brevin Jordan with a thirty-three or forty-fifth pick, and then I would like to take essentially like the poor man's version of that same player in like the fifth round, maybe like a Kenny Yaboa if you draft Firemuth or maybe a Tony Paulgen or Hunter Long and like the fifth round if you draft Brevin first, you know, they kind of complement each other well. Yeah, I mean, I like what y'all mindset is with that. Um, I also think they should come away in this draft with two tight ends, um, you know, that, of course, the second round range, um, maybe the third round range if you're lucky enough to get Jordan there. Um, and then around that fourth to fifth round range where you, like you guys said, you know, guys around that, that um, range, like the Ole Miss tight end and uh, McKitty. And, you know, it's been a, a bunch of little other guys. Like it's like a cluster of guys that's been mixed in that fourth to fifth round range. So, I mean, with 10 draft picks, why not spend two on the tight end room? If, especially if that was your plan anyway, to drastically change the, uh, that room in general. Yeah. Um... Now, going like switching to the receiver position, I mean, the Jags added Philip Dorsett and uh, Marvin Jones Jr. in free agency. Like, how soon would you consider drafting a receiver? I mean, would you? It seems like the Jags can go in so many different directions with that 25th pick, or and then with the 33rd, I mean, depends on what they do at 25. So, like, how early would you address wide receiver and what type of receiver would you like look for? Would you try to get a Terrace Marshall or would you try to get a smaller guy like Rondell Moore, Tutu Atwell, someone like that? Yeah, funny thing about it, and when I did that last draft, I con- I heavily considered uh, Terrace Marshall at um around that third at that thirty three pick. I I cons- he was on the board in the simulation I did at uh forty five too, uh, but I just knew the situation with that tight end room, and then I you know I just went ahead and took a pass rusher, uh, Joe Tryon, who I'm very high on uh, with that second second round pick, but um. I think to be honest with you, they could they could take either type of a receiver uh, early in this draft. I don't think they will, but you know, like depending on how the board looks, if a lot of the guys that you wanted are gone or whatever the case may be, you could you could look into that. Um, you know, if you want your guy that could get your 50-50 balls, whatever the case may be, if one of those guys is available, like a Bateman, whatever the case may be, you know, I wouldn't be mad with that, and um, I definitely wouldn't be mad with definitely getting a speed threat. Me personally, I love speed threats. And that that's more along the lines of what I would go for because, well, for one, I don't think Philip Dorsett might not make the team. And I'm, you know, this is a guy that really praised Philip Dorsett when he was coming out of Miami. And um, I, I've, I've been on record for saying like Philip Dorsett is the fastest runner I've ever seen with my own eyes from, you know, close range from 15 yards, whatever the case may be. I'll never forget seeing him running up and down the field at the senior bowl. But, um, you know, in terms of, you know, getting a speed threat, 
I really like Elijah Moore, you know, if they want to go there. I like Tony as well. Um, you know, like his, I don't know what it was with him because he really didn't have trouble with his hands, but he kind of flashed issues with his hands at the senior bowl. Uh, but I wouldn't worry about that too much because again, like when you look at his tape, he didn't drop balls like that. Um, of course, there's a connection with Dan Quinn, who is Urban Meyer's basically right hand, basically, you know, like him and Urban Meyer were, were like buddy, buddy. And, you know, they studied a lot of the same stuff. They came up with the the scheme we all know and love and seeing, you know, with the Gators and the, the scheme that we've seen with Ohio State and so on and so forth together. Uh, so, you know, Tony definitely is probably on their radar, you would have to think. Um and yeah, between yeah, Tony and Moore, like I'm real cool with getting either one of those guys. Uh, the other, uh, his first name is escaping, uh, Rondell Moore. I'm not as high on him as some people because just because the injuries scare me, you know. And when you are, you know, hovering at that 180 range, it's okay for you to be 180 in terms of pounds or whatever the case may be if you've proven that you can stay healthy in college, but. Once you prove that you can't stay healthy in college, then that's an issue to me. And that that's worrisome. You know, he had the hamstring injury or I think it was a lower body injury or LBI of some sort uh, that kind of lingered. And, you know, that caused him to, you know, see the field for limited games. I can't remember the amount of games he's missed, but, uh, you know, he kind of scares me from that regard. As athletic as he is and as talented as he is, I think he's more along the line of, you know, a third round pick, if you look at it from that standpoint of a health standpoint, but you know, that's just kind of me. Like everybody has different takes on these receivers. Um, when you get past the first three, you know, the big three, Chase Smith, Waddle, uh, you know, the opinions kind of vary past that point, but truth be told, I mean, I wouldn't be honest if they targeted either type of receiver uh, relatively early in the draft, if the draft board didn't fall their way. Yeah, I could definitely see them going, uh, Pretty much either route for me. I I do like uh, Rondo more for the Jags just because he's flashed more consistently than Tony to me as far as like a, a consistent threat when he's in. But uh, I definitely would like you said. I definitely be worried about his injury history I and mean, those little guys who have those lower body injuries. Sometimes it just lingers and lingers. I mean, we've seen it with a guy like Marcus Lee, who's bigger than uh, Rondo more, but just can never stay healthy. So while we're going over our receivers, me and Tony have been going over our top five players of each position. Uh, so who would you be your top five receivers of this draft class? Yeah. So um, as I was telling you before, I was, um, I kind of worked my way from like, <laughs> I don't know, like my, my process is kind of weird. Sometimes I work my way from like the fourth round on back uh, to the first round. So I've kind of started backwards with them, but just from like, uh, you know, like what I've recollected, the 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 top guys, the top five I got, I, I love Jamar Chase, man. Um, he has the NFL weight and size over Smith and Waddle. Um, not to say that that'll be an issue with Smith and Waddle uh, in the NFL, but, you know, he just does. He, he may not do all of the things that they do as good as them, but he does it pretty damn close, you know, in terms of, you know, all of the traits that you highlight with Waddle and Smith. He does those pretty well. And he has the NFL size, uh, though I think uh, Smith might be like a foot taller than him or, you know, somewhere along the lines of that, give or take. Um, but love Smith. That's my number two after Chase. Um, now, with him, I'm not as worried about the size. Um, I think if I can recall, I have to look at his um, – that's one thing I forgot to do before I logged in. But I think he was a little bit more healthier, if I can recall, while he was at Alabama than like a Rondell Moore. 
So his size don't concern me as much as Rondell Moore. Um, but, you know, like he's a he's just a, I was looking over my notes before I came uh, on with you guys. And man, like he does everything to the T, man, elevating well. Uh, he's deceptive as a receiver. I love deceptive receivers that can, you know, change speeds and that are kind of chameleons with that kind of deal. Um, good at high point in the ball. You know, everything you you want to check off, he's he's pretty much good at. And Waddle is a lot of the he has a lot of the same traits as well. Um, I think maybe and this might be just me personally, I think Smith may be a little bit better behind the line of scrimmage than Waddle. Uh, but you know, again, that's my personal take. So, you know, Waddle's third for that reason. Uh, I got Tony as my fourth guy. And then um, as I was telling you guys, I got Elijah Moore um on my list as a fifth guy. Yeah, pretty much like our top or well, our top one, I think uh it's pretty much the same. Jamar Chase, I think he's just the most NFL ready receiver in the draft. Uh, I mean, you can see him do everything. He could run routes just as good as Devontae Smith to me. And he could just uh, he could high point the ball just as good as Rashad Bateman or some of the other bigger targets in the draft. So he's pretty much the complete package for me. Uh, yeah, same same here. Jamar Chase, I mean, he's the most balanced receiver out of everybody coming out this year. I mean, he's fast. He, uh, like you said, he can high, high point the ball. He can beat you deep. He could run good routes. I mean, he just has it all. And he's worth definitely worth top five, top ten pick, in my opinion. As far as me, like, as my second receiver, uh, I kind of went a different route because, I mean, this is just how I feel about guys going to the next level as far as, like, projection and stuff. Um, I think I like Terrace Marshall a lot. I have him as my receiver, too, because, I mean, he's a taller guy, fast, fast. I mean, he got hurt during that big year with, like, uh, when they had Chase and Jefferson and uh, Joe Burrow, Clyde edwards Hiller. He kind of got hurt in the middle of the year, so then he came back, and then, he still put up some good numbers, but I can that uh, kind of brought down his production a little bit. Or else he would probably be up there putting up as good as numbers that they did that year. And, but then you seen him this year, and he played with really bad court, quarterback play. I mean, he had Miles Brandon out there. I mean, who played okay, but then he got hurt, and then he had to play with two, uh, two true freshmen at quarterback, and he still averaged like 700 yards um, uh, this season. Or he, had 700 yards this season and averaged um, 100 yards a game because he only played seven games. And, like, I think he had, like, 11 touchdowns or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's – yeah, I mean, I like him as my our receiver, too, this year. What about you, Henry? Uh, for me, I went a different route also for receiver, too. Uh, almost the same reasons that you went with Terrence Marshall, I went with Rashad Bateman. I think uh, I just – to me, he's the second-best receiver in the draft. I mean, he's big. He's fast. I mean, a lot of people don't give him credit for his speed. Uh, but I mean, he's a fast dude, man. I seen him take up like tunnel screens to the house, like 80 yards, you know, and he's just uh, like uh, Jay was talking about with Devontae Smith. He's deceptively like quick too, man. He, uh, he can put his foot in the ground and make a move. He's physical. He's definitely the second best receiver to me. I mean, that's why, I mean, I know the Jags have a lot of those. I mean, he reminds me a lot of Marvin Jones Jr. Uh, he might be a little more physical in my opinion, but like the same, almost the same type of player, like a, uh, I predicted like a while ago is that I think he's going to have a Justin Jefferson type impact on the team this year. Granted, he goes to a team with a solid, like stable quarterback. And then for my wide receiver three is Devontae Smith. Uh, pretty much Jay hit it, the nail in the coffin for him. And he's just a ball player. He's uh, quick, uh, probably the best, best route runner out, uh, in the draft. And I mean, he's a Heisman winner, man. 
my my receiver three is uh, Jalen Waddle. I mean, especially in this uh, day and age with the football, everybody's looking for the next Tyree kill. And I think, like, as far as, like, pass drafts, and ever since Tyree Hill came out, I think uh, Waddle's pretty much the closest thing to it. I mean, he has elite speed. I mean, all you, you see him make plays. I mean, he was leading Alabama receiving yards until he got hurt. So, I mean, like, who knows what would happen if whether or not Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle would have won the Heisman if he never got hurt. So, I mean, I like Waddle at uh, three for me. And then for four, I got Devontae Smith right there. I mean, like y'all said, I mean, he's a ball player. He proved he could stay healthy despite the slim frame. He he reminds me a lot of Marvin Harrison. Um, I think he could have a similar impact in the league. Uh, for me, I have Rondo Moore at four. Uh, like we said earlier, his injury history does worry me a little bit. But, man, when you get the ball in this guy's hands, he's probably one of the most exciting players in college football, if not the most exciting player in college football. Uh, the only reason he's so far down on my list is because of his injury history. But uh, I remember that game his freshman year against Ohio State. I'm sure Urban Meyer remembers it, too. I think he was still coaching Ohio State back then when he had, like, 202 yards. And, I mean, he just went crazy. So that's my wide receiver four. And for five, I have Jalen Waddle. I mean, I'm not as high as on Waddle as most people. I mean, I, I, uh, I do think he's a great football player. But sometimes uh, sometimes I don't think his game's going to translate necessarily like these other guys. Uh I mean, you kind of seen it with Ruggs last year. I think he's a better all-around player than Ruggs, but you kind of seen it with uh, Henry Ruggs last year. Has like his games didn't train. He struggled to get open sometimes and drop balls. And uh, he's just a guy that I kind of there's not. I'm not as high on as others. Yeah, uh, my last receiver. Uh, this is kind of a bit of a surprise to you, but a lot of people forget about him because he opted out this year. Um, I really like Sage Surratt from Wake Forest. He put up all kinds of good numbers when he played with Jamie Newman uh, at Wake Forest his last year. Um, and I think he'll be uh, great in the league whenever he gets drafted. And for uh, – do you have a super receiver, uh, Jay? Uh, was it you needed a six receiver? Was it? Yeah, like your sleeper. Like I know you said you oh, start. Uh, okay, gotcha. I thought you said six receiver. I was like, yeah, yeah, I got a six. Um, yeah, that would have been Rondell <laughs> for me. Uh, but yeah, sleeper receiver is uh, Amir Smith Marset for me. I really like his uh, tape. Uh, I looked at him because the Jaguars had a meeting with him, if I can recall, uh, that um, Justin Mello of the Draft Network had uh, put out there. So you know, he's a guy that um, he you know he can return for you as well and that's what urban meyer is looking for and obviously urban meyer is a guy that uh you know values special teams and so on and so forth and uh you know he's a, he's a legit guy downfield as well i like what i saw from him down the field uh you know like he's one of those guys too though that his his range is sporadic in terms of where people think he'll go you know some people you you have i, I guess like i saw like the latest was fifth round for him and then, you know, you see some people taking him in the third round. So, like, it's just like a struggle to find out where he should go. So, for me, I mean, personally, I would, again, just going by my personal little theory, I would just go, like, somewhere between there, between the third and the fifth round, which would be the fourth round is right about where he should go. But, yeah, I like him, and I like his film. And um, I wouldn't mind seeing them grab him with one or there. I believe they have two fourth-round picks. Yeah, my, my sleeper is kind of similar to that. You don't never know from the range where he's going to get drafted at. Uh, I see him anywhere from like sec, like the end of the second round so, uh, to like the fourth. Like so, I mean, like 
I don't know how much of a sleeper he is, but it's Tutu Atwell from Louisville. I mean, you saw him at Louisville. When you watched him play at Louisville, you saw him, like, make plays just look so easy. He beat you downfield, run precise routes, make crazy catches. I mean, he's a little bit smaller. I think he was at 160 or something like that last year. So, I mean, I'll be interested to see how he measures at his pro day. And um, he has elite speed, though. I think he's been tested at, like, in four twos before. So, I mean, I'm interested to see how he runs. I mean, he was a quarterback at uh, Miami Northwestern. He was a good one, too. A lot of people forget that. But uh, he's just a ball player. I mean, uh, any, a team's going to get lucky enough to draft him and get a steal. Yeah, for me, uh, my guy is out west. So, like, a lot of us aren't familiar with him. But he uh, is the USC receiver, Monterey State Brown. He's honestly – I mean, he's one of my favorite series in the league. I mean, he's uh, he reminds me a lot of DJ Moore for the Panthers. He's built like a running back. Uh, he's not quite as explosive, like, speed-wise, but he gets open consistently. He has a smaller frame, but, I mean, he's one of those other guys that can high point the ball. And I've really struggled, like, picking just one, one sleeper receiver because, I mean, gosh, man, there's so many good receivers in this class. Um, um, you've been uh, diving into some of these draft prospects. Is there any guys that standing out to you that like are kind of under the radar? Uh, yeah, it's two guys from Washington, which y'all have seen in my mock probably that I don't understand why they're not getting more uh, love. And uh, one of them is Joe Tryon, the edge rusher from um, that's from Washington. Uh, that so you know he's a multiple guy he could do a little bit of everything um he's he's sturdy then you would think for somebody you know around his size uh, against the run um and you know i think like his big thing is he probably needs to develop a counter move he has a first initial move that he could beat people with but you know like in the nfl and we even when you like when he was playing uh panay sewell for example you know you'll see times where he would need to develop a second move to add on to that first move uh, to kind of, you know, help uh, get him closer to the quarterback or rush the quarterback, whatever the case may be. But, you know, when he gets that part, you know, down pat, which I think with a coach like Joe Cullen, who is so detailed, and, you know, we had Austin Lane on our podcast to talk about that. Uh, Joe Cullen, will, you know, can definitely coach him up and get him right and get him where he needs to be, um, you know. And I think they would really, really like him because of, you know, his ability to move around the defense and um, the other one is um, I don't know why his name is escaping me. The cornerback from Washington, uh, Jesus, y'all, yeah, uh, no, no, not Molden. It's the other one, um, the taller one, the one that they compared to Hamdi uh, Austin, right? Yes, yes, uh, our man Will Blackman made that comparison to him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, he he's been uh, to me like just his ability in man to man coverage, which. Um, I think that'll be valuable in Joe Cullen's scheme. But the only the issue is, is that the Jaguars are set in terms of their boundary corners, and he's not a boundary corner. Um, you know, he, he's not a guy you probably want in the nickel. Even though I I think I did read uh, read somewhere that he played dime a little bit, but um, I had to go back and look at my notes on that. But um, yeah, I mean, like you know, I keep seeing him available for some reason in the fourth round, which is weird to me. But um, you know, a lot of people praised him at the Senior Bowl, Daniel Jeremiah, and so on and so forth. And uh, you know, he really did show up uh, at the Senior Bowl against some you know notable names out there. But then again, again, it's just a matter of like maybe the projections and the simulations are kind of off, right? 
because again we haven't been able to get with the scouts on this and maybe he will be a guy that we see go like earlier than he should um in the third round going back to your mock draft the player that we like um you had the jacks taken and a player that i really like and we both talked about like that would be like pretty much a perfect fit for the jaguars and like um be a perfect compliment for James Robinson on the other side is uh, J.B. Hawkins from Louisville. Like, what round do you think that he'll be drafted in or, like, what would be a good spot for the Jags to take him? Would you draft him in the fourth or wait, uh, risk uh, waiting to the fifth to take someone like Hawkins? Oh, yeah, and by the way, Keith Taylor Jr. I don't know why I blanked out on his name like that, but that's what uh, that's his name, Keith Taylor Jr. But, yeah, Hawkins, yeah. I mean, I think going back to, again, to, you know, just my little personal theory, most people have them, you know, most projections, you'll see them like fifth roundish. Um, So, you know, and then you'll see some, I've seen some maybe like in the third or like, you know, early in the fourth. So just go somewhere in between there. I would say like fourth roundish is where – I would take him like his speed is just so uh, valuable to a team, you know, like I if yeah, people might be worried about the size or whatever the case may be. But to add that kind of speed into the Jaguars offense and, you know, we've seen what Urban Meyer can do with speed. And, uh, you know, there's been times where we've seen Daryl Belville have, you know, top five, top three offenses in uh, Seattle when he was there as well. So, you know, adding that speed into uh, this offense and adding that speed into what they already have between Chark, uh, you know, maybe getting you a tight end like uh, Pat, um, you know, also LaVisca and what he can do, Colin Johnson, uh, adding some speed into the mix with those guys, especially like Hawkins as well, uh, would be a big deal in my opinion. And also, I mean, you just need to change a pace from uh, – you need to change a pace from James Robinson um, because, you know, he is – don't get me wrong. James Robinson is phenomenal, but I was, um, I did an article two, three weeks ago that uh, said he had the highest carry rate for a running back in the NFL, even higher than Derrick Henry. The Jaguars cannot continue at that rate with James Robinson as good as he is. And, and you would think with Urban Meyer here, they're not, obviously he said he's going to rebuild that room or build that room around James Robinson. And Hawkins is just a guy that could really, really help. Uh, in that manner as well, take some of the carries away, as well as, you know, they got Carlos Hyde as well. So, you know, you bring in Hawkins into the situation where there's the veteran guy in Hyde to learn from, and then you got the guy that's in his prime and that's putting up the, proje- uh, the production in Robinson as well. Like, the room is made perfectly for a young man like him that lacks the speed that he has. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, I think they said James Robinson had, like, 95% of the team's carries last year, which is crazy. I mean, that'd be a quick way to run him to the ground. And then you add um, Carlos Hyde. He's kind of a similar back. So, I mean, added Hawkins, it makes sense to have a different, like like you said, like a change of pace guy, like a speedster type of back. I mean, and he kind of reminds me of a Tyreek Cohen from uh, Chicago, and you could use him kind of like the, the way that Chicago uses uh, Cohen. So, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. Like uh, him and Michael Carter, I think those are the type of guys that the Jacks should target uh, uh, to complement those two, Hyde and uh, Robinson. Yeah, I, I agree with Michael Carter, too, who I think you might have to get him a little earlier than Hawkins. You probably have to get him in the third round. But um, I was talking with one of you guys online about that. And, like, I wouldn't mind that either. Like, that wouldn't hurt my feelings, yeah. you know, getting uh, Carter in the third round because it's, it's needed. It's necessary in that running back room because, like, we all have come to the conclusion of, like, 
the the rate in which they gave James Robinson the ball is not acceptable. And and not only that, but like we saw what where that will get you early in the season, or or should I say late in the season, he missed the you know what three games or whatever the case may be, four games because of a high ankle sprain. So you you know you want to protect him, a young man of his magnitude and his skill level. You want to protect him from that kind of a load because, uh, you know, not many people are built to do that. You know, even you can argue like Derrick Henry, man. Like, at what at what point can they keep running Derrick Henry like that in Tennessee? You know, so I don't want to get to that point in Jacksonville with with Robinson and. Michael Carter, like you said, is a, a excellent pick to, you know, give you a change of pace. He's good in space. I love this film as well. Um, I, I saw a little bit of him before the Senior Bowl because he was a part of that, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, yeah, Hawkins is just, you know, Hawkins is just the type that is it's times where Hawkins is so fast, he can get a defense out of place. And I, we saw a lot of this when he was at Louisville. And um, in that Miami tape in particular, it was one play – uh, where I think they try to run like some kind of play to the right, and they had ran it. They had ran it like two times before in the same drive, and everybody in Miami's defense literally went to the right, and he got them all misplaced. Took the back door, went to the left side of the field. Nobody could catch him, and uh, like for me, like that play just said all I needed to see. Like in in terms of like his speed and how fast he is, and just how much, uh, how much defenses respect him in terms of, you know, his skill level and what he brings to the table. I forgot to hop back into, like, free agency. There's one topic we missed, and it's the biggest storyline of the offseason is that the Jags brought in a new quarterback, C.J. Brethard, or Brethard, whatever. Uh, I'm sorry, C.J., for butchering your name. Uh, what do you think that means for uh, Gardner? And, uh, like, do you think he's going to get traded? Obviously, the 49ers were uh, – like a talking point, but it doesn't look like they're going to appear to trade for him anymore as far as like uh, them trading up to the third overall pick. Yeah, yeah. I think Gardner's days are are slowly coming to an end in Jacksonville. And I was one of the people that was actually uh, – and, and I know last year he didn't have the best season. It, a lot of his his – Film from last year is actually just maddening to me, <laughs> but uh, I was okay with keeping him, you know, for what, you know, I know teams are going to come to them with, you know, different types of uh, compensation, whatever the case may be, but I was okay with keeping him just for the simple fact that just at his age, uh, he's so young, he's seen, you know, over a year's worth of experience in terms of games, which is, I think that's valuable and um, I think just like a big key with Gardner is like he just and I haven't really heard anybody speak on this. A part of what he struggled with, he lost a part of himself when he got that hand injury. I think that's what happened uh, because he he was more of a guy that was willing to throw downfield and was accurate in doing so in his rookie season. Uh, but then when the hand injury came in, he didn't throw downfield as much. He questioned himself more uh, more in terms of throwing down the field. And when he did throw down the field, it was not pretty. You can tell something was wrong. We didn't know at the time that the man had, like, jacked up his hand. But when he was throwing down the field, it's like, what in God's name was that? And then we find out, like, this dude, yeah, like, his hand's been messed up. But um, that being said, I mean, like, me and Phil talked about this. I think if somebody offers you a four for Gardner, you probably need to jump on that. That's what they got for Nick Foles. And, um, you know, fourth would be real good for I mean, a third, like, it's just – I don't see that happening, but you you definitely got to do it then. But 
a fourth is fine for him. Uh, you know, a fifth is fine as well, but we'll see like ultimately what teams offer for him. But I think what makes this decision probably easier, I mean, and you would think their mind is kind of made up on this still, nonetheless, even with Alex Smith. But if they got Alex Smith, it's it's easy to give him up for a fourth or it's easy to get rid of him for a fifth or whatever the case may be. Uh, we'll see who, what teams call, though. And, um, you know, we'll see what the Jaguars continue to do at at a quarterback as well. Do they still go for Alex Smith or whatever the case may be? But, I mean, the key is Bethard is um, making, what, $2.5 million in guarantees, which, I mean, I would think that speaks – it's not a crazy amount of money, but it speaks volumes about them yeah, wanting him to be on the roster for sure like, uh, for at least uh, this year as a backup. He kind of has that personality where he believes that he's the guy, you know, like he could still start and stuff. And you, you kind of don't want that around your locker room or your or at all, like that type of energy around your new quarterback. You kind of want to get away from the, all the toxic type of environment and stuff like that because, I mean, he's a guy that with the Gardner's personality, he thinks he could uh, pretty much start in this, in this league. He had that little bit of success and – I don't know. I just think like it wouldn't be good for like a rookie quarterback to come in there and like. Uh, I'm not saying Gardner would be a bad teammate, but how much would he be willing to help Trevor, and just all that? I think so. If you, I, I think you pretty much have to get rid of him and at least trade him, especially now after signing Bethard. Yeah. See, I didn't think about it from that standpoint. You you make. A good point. Um, you, you make a very good point. Um, I'm big on like the energy you keep, especially the energy you're gonna keep around Trevor Lawrence. You know, um, and we hear the stories all the time, right? Uh, Aaron Rodgers or uh, you know Brett Favre, if I can recollect, is it Brett Favre that didn't help out Aaron Rodgers a lot, and then Tom Brady didn't help out Jimmy Garoppolo a lot. Peyton Manning wasn't that help uh, helpful uh, to the second string guy for him, so. You know, you hear this a lot when a guy just thinks they're the yeah. guy and supposed to be on the field. Now, granted, now those guys have the track records to have that kind of attitude. It's a little different with Gardner. You know, like you, as you said, like he's only had one year of success and you could you could question like if, you know, that year is, is legit or not. Because, you know, for me, like sometimes it just takes a year for teams to get adjusted to a quarterback, which, you know, as we saw, that kind of happened in. Uh, you know, again, the injury didn't help him either. And hiding the injury definitely didn't help him or the team. That wasn't the smartest thing. And, uh, you know, when somebody makes decisions like that, yeah, man, you got to wonder, like, is that the guy that you would want around Trevor Lawrence? From that standpoint, you're right. Yeah, you probably got to get him up out of there because, you know, maybe a guy like Bether or, you know, a guy like Alex Smith are more willing to help. And, and need I remind you, Alex Smith has had a great deal of success in this league as well. Um, when you have somebody who's been successful and that's willing to help, uh, that, you know, you can't beat that. And, you know, you would think, like, that is uh, a better situation than having Gardner there as well. But, you know, we'll see. I think, yeah, you're right. He, he'll eventually get traded. Um, it's just a matter of, like, where does he go? Um, let's hope he doesn't go to, like, the yeah, Patriots or something thing, like, like that. Turn Garner, into, like, some like, stone cold saying, killer or something like that. Trevor will like struggle, but if he does struggle, we'll I mean, you know there's going to be, like, the media – and the fans, and I mean, we've seen a little bit with Jim Nagy over the weekend, where he's uh, yeah. where he's saying like the Jags sabotage him. I'm not. I mean, he's entitled to his opinion. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with it, but you already kind of could see 
narratives building if Gardner Mitch is still in the locker room. And it's another thing you don't want to put on a rookie quarterback. You don't want to put uh, like that unnecessary pressure from the media, you know, like because uh, you you know that somebody uh, will bring up a, like a, a random narrative that about Minshew if Trevor struggles. Yeah, yeah, we have been seeing it with Jim Nagy, um, who, you know, like, you know, Jim has been real helpful with the Senior Bowl and the process of uh, when we went there and all of that. But, yeah, like, I definitely disagree with what he's been saying online about Gardner, man, in, in terms of especially with the fact that just Gardner hit the hand injury himself, too. You know, I know that came up in the conversation with Jim Nagy. And, um, again, like, you just don't. You don't help your coach who is, you know, Doug Marone was in a situation where he was fighting for his job. Uh, you don't help your team. If the guy out there has a healthier hand than you, literally that your hand is the key part of being a quarterback. You know, like you can't go out there and, and um, you know, perform to your abilities if, you you know, you got fractures in your hand or whatever the case may be. And, uh, you know, that just the fact that, you know, that didn't help the team and it didn't help Doug Marone. You know, like, I don't want to say you you questioned Gardner as a competitor because, you know, that's all it was is him being a competitor and he understands what kind of opportunity he had and he didn't want to relinquish it. But at the same time, as we have came to the conclusion of that could be also that competitiveness uh, could get to a point where it's toxic as well. And it doesn't help anybody, not the players, not the coaches. And we saw DJ Chark out there getting mad about the passes and so on and so forth and. You know, like that's just it'll it'll open up a whole can of worms. And uh yeah, you don't want that around Trevor Lawrence. And uh yeah, I much rather have, you know, not that we know a lot about CJ Beathard, but you know, maybe it is better to have a guy like Beathard or Alex Smith in that room with uh with Trevor Lawrence. But again, I guess like we'll just that that end of the deal in terms of Gardner Minshew and getting traded, uh It'll probably start to heat up, you know, this month, next month, you know, kind of heading into the draft. We'll see where he goes. Um, I, I think that's the most interesting part yeah, of it. It's like who that, out there yeah. okay, wants so Gardner Minshew? One more question. And, uh, you know, what, what are they willing to kind of tie into each other? Um, what are your thoughts, like your personal thoughts? I mean, we talked about Trevor Lawrence on this podcast, but like what are your personal thoughts about Trevor Lawrence and how, like, as a prospect coming in and how he will fare in the league? And then the second part of the question is like, we're starting to see, like, I guess the media is getting kind of bored with Trevor Lawrence being the consensus number one guy. Like, how do you feel about the Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence comparison and stuff like that? I mean, to I mean, to us Jags fans, I mean, most of us are like, I mean, there ain't no comparison or whatever. But how do you feel personally after watching pretty much both of them? Yeah, I th I think um, I think the media maybe they are doing it intentionally or maybe they aren't, but the media might be overthinking this in terms of like is yeah. this to me is an easy read, and I I think y'all would agree to agree as well. It's an easy read. Um, Trevor Lawrence is better than <laughs> Zach Wilson, and yeah, I mean I I get it, I get it, and I guess in a way we can say. A lot of this is Patrick Mahomes' fault because everybody's looking for the next Patrick Mahomes now. 
Uh, you know, everybody's looking for that guy that can just got a ridiculous amount of arm talent that could throw off platform and and this, that, and the other. So, you know, Patrick Mahomes kind of opened up that can of worms and whatnot. But I think this this is the part I, I don't really hear a lot of people talking about and that people are missing in terms of not just the performance and the skill set and, you know, Trevor Lawrence doing it in the bright lights against the big teams, against the Alabamas as a freshman of the world and whatever the case may be. Aside from that, the part that people are missing to me in this comparison with Wilson and uh, Trevor Lawrence is just the fact that the one of the key reasons we're just now finding out about Wilson Wright is because he wasn't healthy in the past. Okay, so here we have Trevor Lawrence, who has been for the most part healthy for the most part of his career. I think like he missed games because of what was it, COVID, which you know that's just an unfortunate situation, whatever the case may be. But it feels like he, you know, where was there not the risk? If there had not been the risk of him, you know, infecting the rest of the team, which you never want, and COVID is something that should be taken very seriously. You know, it felt like he was feeling well enough. A lot of these players were feeling well enough to where they could have been on the field and performed. Uh, but it's just a matter of keeping everybody else safe, which is fine. You know, like you, that's what you want to do because this is no joke. This is a, a serious thing. But it feels like he could have maybe played because if I can recall, like one or two weeks after he was diagnosed with COVID or something, like he was on the sidelines, uh, Trevor Lawrence, which that shocked me. I was like, he on the sidelines a little too fast. It might have been one week after he was diagnosed with it. Uh, but, you know, that's that's neither here or neither there. But, yeah, a lot of the reason why we're just now hearing Wilson's name is health and durability. And here you have this is the thing about it. Trevor Lawrence, who, you know, had a labrum issue. And if I can recall that labor, that labrum issue is something he played with, if I'm not mistaken. So that shows you the toughness and just, you know, that that gives him the notch over Wilson in that degree or in that category in terms of the toughness or, or whatever the case may be. And I think a lot of people are missing that. Can Zach Wilson kind of just like what we were saying with Rondell Moore, is, is Zach Wilson going to be healthy in the NFL? Because if if not, it's a very good chance. I mean, it's still a good chance regardless, but uh, it's, it's an even greater chance that Trevor Lawrence is going to be better than Zach Wilson if Zach Wilson has the same health trends that he did in college. But, you know, that's just kind of something that, came to my mind like recently that people are missing with it but I mean performance wise yeah I mean you just you just can't compare uh, what Trevor Lawrence has done throughout the entirety of his career like his freshman year you could argue was probably his best year so like we saw we you could argue you might have seen the best out of him early in his tenure and it kind of you know like that kind of hurt him from that standpoint uh, but I mean like he he's also been in other big games beyond his freshman year and uh you know like you just can't compare that body of work to Zach Wilson's body of work, in my opinion. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, like, if they protect him and keep him upright, uh, he could have a Justin Herbert-like season. Um, that's just my opinion on that. Uh, we'll see, you know, how, how Trevor ends up doing. But if he does, like, that's a success in, like, that kind of season, like, the Jaguars are competing for the playoffs, yeah, if not making worse. the playoffs, you know. <laughs> I, obviously, mean, the like, defense got to do their part, Zach but uh, it feels like the that. defense will be a little like, bit better than it was I don't last year. how the media, but... like, nitpicks uh, on everything about Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I guess because they want to find a topic to talk about. But with Zach Wilson, I mean, look at the competition he played against. I mean, I don't know. It just don't make sense. I think that's just one of create a com- uh, conversation to be made just because – we everyone knows since pretty much Trevor's first freshman year, he's a consensus number one overall pick, and it just uh, I, I'm not saying aggravating, but I, 
it just don't make sense like how they try to debate the two and out of nowhere people are saying Zach Wilson and then they don't talk about his competition play against or whatever yeah you yeah you you hit it on the head man like I don't get how this conversation just came up out of the blue you know, like it, we, we weren't having these conversations before the Jacksonville Jaguars had the first overall pick. And I mean, I think that's part of it, too, is, you know, like, look, look where ESPN is based, you know, and, I you know, I don't even I'm not even y'all have followed my timeline for a long time. I'm not the type that, you know, go after ESPN like like the fans or whatever the case may be. But ESPN, look where it's at. It's in they literally film first take. Right there in front of, if I'm not mistaken, in front of the Brooklyn Bridge. One of their headquarters is in New York. So it feels like, of course, like to me, it feels like they much have rather seen him go to the Jets, right? Which, I mean, that makes sense. You know, that's the big market. They'll be there right there basically at his doorstep to cover him wherever, you know, if Lawrence was going to the Jets. Uh, but the Jaguars, or I won't even say the Jaguars, stuck a fork in those plans. The Jets stuck a fork in those plans by winning the two games that they did, well, actually, it only would have took him taken one win, uh, which was the one against the Rams because, you know, they had the strength of schedule or whatever the case may be. Uh, so I think that's a lot of what has caused this conversation of, you know, Trevor Lawrence versus Zach Wilson is the fact that when they found out that Trevor Lawrence wasn't coming to New York, they had to make a new a new topic that would get, uh, you know, that will get the people going, which I mean, that you know, that's part of the business, too, in media, which, you know, you guys know as, as podcasters, um, you know, people want their numbers high. You know, people want their podcast listens high. People want their clicks high in terms of uh, web pages and sports pages and what what have you. And I think that's what you know, that's a fire they're trying to build. Uh, yeah, I definitely because, think I mean, just hit it. Again, we didn't hear dog. about yeah, this I mean, conversation. Trevor was the guy, the guy, the guy from ESPN, from everybody, until we did get the number one pick. So I definitely believe that narrative comes into it. I also believe, like, like it's slow. There's no football, so these people are going to outsmart themselves. I mean, you kind of see it with some type of position every year. And never to this extent, though, because Trevor, I mean, I'm pretty sure anybody who's saying that Zach Wilson is the first overall pick, you could go pull tweets from a year or two ago. And they would be glamoring over Trevor Lawrence. So it's a, I, you just have to have. I'm not. I don't want to say it's clickbait because we know, like, uh, I mean, we know what causes revenue to some of these sites. So I'm not gonna say that. But I mean, it's just like it's just being different. Everybody wants to be different nowadays. Yeah, exactly. Everybody wants a hot take to be different. So if that hot take comes true, they could be like, see, look, I told you, you got ESPNs of the world saying Zach Wilson is better. So, like, he's in line with them. Um, but, I mean, like, I think Chris Sims, like, a lot of people have been coming at him right for his take or whatever the case may be. But I just think he, like, he truly believes that. And he's a guy, like, I, I truly believe he's one of the few uh, that's not actually out to get Jacksonville because when the Jacksonville Jaguars were, they had that run in 2017, he was the first to admit, like, he said this. He was, and it's easy for me to pinpoint this stuff because I write about it. You know, I, I put it on the Jaguars wire. But he was one of the few people to actually say the Jaguars were the best team of 2017. He was saying that that year. He was saying that defense was, like, historical and elite. The only thing that was holding them back was Blake Bortles. So I don't think he's, like, one of those guys that's against Jacksonville 
I just think it's more so like he's just a guy that truly believes that Wilson is better than Lawrence. Um, I don't agree with him there. I don't think nobody really does that, you know, that it's watched Lawrence in comparison to Wilson. But, um, yeah, yeah man, it's I just been an interesting like just realm of media surrounding that time. I think he definitely <laughs> – I think he's definitely feeding into it a little bit now comparing pro days and stuff. Like, I've never seen nobody compare two pro days, like, against each other. But uh, I definitely believe that he, uh, he believes that Zach Wilson's better. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, me and Phil might try and I don't know if that's possible and get him on, like, because I just want to, like, dig deeper into it. But, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's certain that Chris Sims is one of those guys that really believes. Now, everybody else, I don't know. Like, maybe they're trying to hot take or whatever the case may be. But yeah, uh, him, like that, that's that. not uh, that's not an unusual. So we're, we're pretty much uh, wrapping up the podcast now. Uh, we want to hit like an hour, 10 minutes as like our, as our uh, sweet spot. So uh, tell these people, tell everybody where they can find you, your work, uh, your handle on Twitter, pretty much any of your socials. Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks for having me on again, guys. Um, appreciate it. And you can find all of my stuff. Uh, Sports Grind underscore done is uh, my Twitter handle. Uh, Believe in Jazz Pod is our podcast handle. It's entitled the Believe in Jazz Podcast with uh, the Believe Podcast Network. And we appreciate all the support everybody has been giving us. By the way, like we're seeing uh, pretty significant numbers with that that uh, situation, and uh, you know. As a result, it, it helps us. It's helped us to get sponsors and stuff. So we appreciate like everybody that's been riding with us with that from day one. Because you know, in the beginning, the numbers clearly weren't looking like they are now. It, it looks like it's something that's growing and, and morphing by the month. Uh, so we appreciate all the support on that. Feel free to check that out. And of course, you can find all my Jaguars. Yeah, ja- and I'll just like the Jaguars wires. Yeah, Jaguars wires probably one of the better Jaguar sites out there. Uh, one of probably my most favorite site to like just read stuff well written, and I'm pretty critical of Jaguar writers. So I mean, your your site is definitely one of the better ones that I've come across. Yeah, that's my go-to as well. I mean, it's not biased in any way, and not criticism, not criticism, just fair, and that's what we we like as Jaguar uh, fans. Yeah. So if you def if anybody listening definitely needs a new Jaguar spot to check out, and you haven't checked it out, we definitely recommend that one. Yeah, man. I, I just try and like like y'all said, I try and be fair, and uh, you know, as Stone Cold used to say in the wrestling days, call it down the middle. You know, like that's that's my medium is calling it down the middle. You know, don't sway too far this way, don't sway too far that way. Call it down the middle, uh, and and stay unbiased, as y'all said. So I appreciate that, man. I really do, and um. I definitely, uh, you know, I'll get this up on the site as well, like I did last time, of course, um, to, you know, basically y'all get some guys on y'all stuff, which, again, y'all, just like my stuff, you know, people need to be paying more attention uh, to what you guys are doing, what Darren are doing uh, is doing as well, because, um, you know, it's a, it's a lot more, much more than us, you know, the Jaguars, Wire, Big Cat Country, Black and Teal, uh, Mia O'Brien, Florida Times Union, it's others that's doing this work as well, um, you know, like like I was when I started, you know, from a podcaster's level when y'all are putting together good content, y'all put in a lot of work into the recruiting. I noticed that as well, which 
that's huge in Florida. You yeah, know, so y'all got a good thing man. going. Uh, and uh, we you appreciate know, I, I you have, coming on, man. It's trend. always a good time. We can always it's like a like just kicking it like at a cookout or something, just yeah. talking ball when you get on. Yeah, so we appreciate that. And if you did want to check out uh, Darian's podcast, as Jay mentioned, it's uh, Chill Takes Podcast. It's on Apple and Spotify. And uh, this is Aaron at Aaron Cabrera underscore on Twitter. And this is Tony at underscore Tony Cabrera on Twitter. And this was another great episode of the Cover 3 Podcast, and we'll see you all next week.